first time I've been back since Brian has been back with you. What a blessing he is in leading you in worship this morning. Uh, bless you, brother. Thank you, choir. Just a great time of fellowship this morning. Uh, this is an exciting time in the life of the church. And I have to share with you that I am kind of emotional right along with you because it's a very pivotal time. And uh, as you uh, pay respect and and honor Dr. Autry next week, this has been a blessing to him. And I know that he's been a blessing to you. And we've been praying. I, I see several of the search committee members here in this service this morning, and we've been praying with you. You know, it's almost like a, uh, a dating process. Uh, you begin to, to look at resumes and you begin to look at people and you begin to date. And, and soon you, you, you like what you see and, and before you know it, you're engaged. You're engaged in conversation. And uh, what I believe is going to be happening here in the next uh, week or so is going to be a marriage between pastor and people, between shepherd and sheep. And it's a beautiful thing to watch that relationship build and to grow. And uh, thank you for allowing me to, uh, to be a small part of that. Always good to be in Mount Pleasant. This morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 21. John chapter one, 21. So if you have your Bibles, if you go ahead and turn there. Very familiar passage of scripture. As a matter of fact, I probably have referred to it multiple times as I've preached here before. But we're going to examine it a little further today. Uh, John 21, and we'll be looking at verses 15 through 22. And so as you prepare for your new pastor, your new shepherd that will lead you as a flock of sheep, I want to encourage you to start saying a word that sometimes is difficult for us to say. And the word is yes. Say it with me. Yes. So, see, you can say it. Yes. Say yes as often as possible and no only when you absolutely have to, okay? Now that sounds kind of elementary in some regards and, and it's really a simple principle that I've used, my wife and I have used in the raising of our children and disciplining our, disciplining our children. We say yes as often as possible and no when we absolutely have to. And I know it's difficult at times to say yes, and we can use all kinds of reasoning or, or make excuses because it's easy to say no these days. I don't have time. My, my schedule is too busy with work and family. I, I'm not comfortable in doing that task. I'm not skilled or equipped in that area. It's easy to say, let someone else do it. Let them take their turn. Uh, I really don't see the need. I'm not completely in agreement with this particular ministry. My heart's not in it. I'm not really that passionate about that. And so it's become easy to say no in so many regards. And I've got to tell you, as a pastor, I knew that I would have to accept when a member would say, I don't sense the Lord leading me to do this or that. But I've got to tell you, this is what I said in turn. Well, since the Lord is not leading you in this particular area of ministry, then what is he leading you to do? Because we've been saved for a purpose. We've been saved to serve the Lord Jesus in some capacity. It's not optional. It is a command. It is expected by our Savior. So if you're saying no to this, 
then what are you saying yes to? Does that make sense? So Mount Pleasant, how do we move from saying no to saying yes? How do we move from being a spectator to getting into the game? How do we move from being served to becoming servants? How do we move from praying and sending missionaries to firsthand doing ministry right here in our own Jerusalem? How do we move from complacency to action? How do we move from being unavailable to becoming available? How do we move from saying no to saying yes? And so maybe we're getting to the the heart of the issue here. And we're going to be looking at Peter and, and Jesus is going to be speaking to Peter. Maybe we're getting to the heart of the matter. Why does the church exist to begin with? What is its purpose? What is the motivation of your mission? Now, we're familiar with Rick Warren and the purpose-driven church. And, of course, he mentions that there are five purposes of the church based on the Great Commission, based on the Great Commandment. And those would be worship and discipleship and ministry or service, evangelism, fellowship. And I would probably add a sixth purpose, and that would be prayer. Because these six, by the way, describe what Dr. Chuck Lawless would say are the six pillars of church health and growth. Someone has said there is no way that a church can move from being hearers of the word to doers of the word without a mighty movement of God's spirit among them. And I I believe that to be so true. But let me share with you this morning from my experience that God's spirit can move in this place. It can prompt us to good works and we still resist the Holy Spirit. And so it is a pivotal time in our lives when God clearly speaks and he leads us to action and yet we say no to him. Because when we say no to the Holy Spirit, we're committing the sin of omission. And essentially, we're saying yes to Satan. Yes, the Holy Spirit prompts us to action, but we have to be willing to be in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And then we have to make the necessary adjustments in our lives. Because spiritual renewal is not just a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. It includes our response in obedience to what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. Let me give you an example. If you follow me on Facebook, you know the last few weeks, Andy has been very busy. And that's because uh, Richmond was the host city for the UCI World Cycling Championships. Now, for the life of me, I can't figure out why Richmond was selected because this race only comes to America every 30 years. 78 nations were represented over a 1,000 cyclists, and an estimated 450,000 spectators. And so we began to ask, should the church get involved? And if so, how? And the easy answer would have been what? No. As a matter of fact, let's get out of town. Let's get, out of, let's get away from all of this traffic. But the Holy Spirit spoke to a few pastors and they were convicted that to do nothing as the Lord brings the nations to us would be a sin of omission. Jesus has commanded us to go to all nations and make disciples. And this time he brought the nations to us. And so our command to go was just down the street. And to not do that would have been the sin of omission. And here's what saying yes to the Holy Spirit did. We had 27 churches and Christian organizations that came together to provide hospitality 
at the airport, we were the welcome wagon. We went, we worked through Homeland Security and they allowed us to set up a table and welcome the nations to Richmond at the airport. We gave out hospitality bags at hotels. We were on the street to welcome people. We helped with cultural differences and language barriers by hosting a language station where five languages were spoken daily. And finally, we offered hope in no other name but Jesus. And the Lord prompted 1,100 hope ambassadors to say, yes, Lord, yes. Wearing orange t-shirts, those volunteers passed out 175,000 hope cards that led people to a website where they could hear the gospel in their native language. Folks, it became so much bigger than anyone anticipated. It was a God-sized task, and he was faithful because his children said, what word? Yes, to his spirit. So what motivates Mount Pleasant to be on mission? What motivates you to respond in action to the Holy Spirit's leading? What motivates us to be doers of the word? Well, it has to be about our relationship to Jesus, and that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. As we look at John 21, verses 15 through 25. Let's go through 25 if we can this morning. So when when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that his disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, What is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there is also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Hmm. Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading, the hearing, the application of your word this morning? Lord, I pray that as a result of reading your word, as a result of the Holy Spirit speaking to us, that we would respond in no other way but saying yes. We love you and we thank you for the privilege of this prompting today in Jesus' name. Amen.
I think I've shared with you as I wrestled with God's call on my life that um, it all began when I was asked to serve as, as a deacon at Staples Mill Road Baptist Church. And of course, I wrestled with that, Andy, because uh, at the time, it was just easy for me to say no, uh, no, because it was such a co- commitment on my life, no, because I, I couldn't uh, fulfill my role at work, I uh, couldn't be the happy-go-lucky person, I couldn't drink socially, and my life was going to be an open book to everyone to see. And so it was easy for me to say no to them. But then the Lord somehow continued to speak to the committee. And the committee came back to me and said, we just really sense the Lord is leading you to be a deacon. And I had to, I had to pray. And, I, and I, I'd say, Lord, I, I can't do this. And, and so he would come back to me and he, he would say, I, I know you can't do this. This is why I want you because I want to do the work through you. you know? so, uh, and I said, Lord, it's going to require a great deal of sacrifice. And he says to me, Yes, but I gave my life for you. That's the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, Lord, I know who you are. I've trusted you. You, you're, You're my savior. But do I love you enough to serve you in this capacity? And he answered, it's not about your love for me, but it's about my love for you. And then I began to just reason, Lord, I won't know what to say. I won't know what to do. There'll be circumstances that I'll find myself in and I, I don't know how to respond. And he said, you follow my lead and I will make you fishers of men. You'll be an extension of my love and grace and mercy to others. My spirit will lead you to say my words and to do my work. All you have to do is trust me. And so I've got to tell you, as I look back on my life, this was a pivotal time when I moved from saying no to saying yes. And I pray that you can look back on your life and you know the very time that you move from saying no to saying yes. Today could be that day. As you're preparing for a new pastor, it could be today is the day that you will move from saying no to saying yes. Well, our text this morning confronts us squarely with this challenge. And there are three points that I want to make through this conversation of Peter and Jesus. The first one is this. Sometimes we want to say yes, but it's difficult because we have failed the Lord in the past. That's what Peter was feeling. Let me give you some biblical background here. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And so we know that three times he's asking this burning question in verses 15 through 17. At first glance, it appears that Peter indeed says, yes, Lord, I do love you. But as you look closer at the Greek text, it reveals that Peter misleads or he's actually playing on words or he's sort of beating around the bush as if Jesus won't see the heart meaning of what he's saying. And so Jesus has asked him, Peter, do you love me? He's asked asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Which means, do you have the highest spiritual devotion for me? But Peter replies, Lord, yes, I do love you. But he says, yes, Lord, I filio you. Which means I have a warm brotherly affection for you. So it's the same word, but a different meaning. And and so I think Peter remembers his heartfelt but unkept promise when he told the Lord that I'll lay down my life for you in chapter 13, verse 37. You see, I think Peter has taught more than he could perform. I think he's overpromised and underdelivered. He has said yes before, but his actions haven't proven that highest level of devotion. And now we find Peter 
is a bit more reserved in his response. He wants more than anything to serve the Lord's hour. But how can he say, yes, I will agape you? How can he say, yes, I have the highest love devotion for you when he's failed so so miserably before in the Lord's hour of need? So when Jesus asked Peter the third time, do you love me? He goes back and he uses Peter's word, filio, here. Peter must have been pierced to the heart by Jesus' willingness to accept the word that Peter would use, even though it was not at all what the Lord could expect from Peter. Now, if you're reading and looking at this series of questions literally, you might ask, well, why is Jesus asking Peter over and over the same question? And it's really not the same question at all. Same word, but, but different meanings each time. And so as we look at our own human relationships, we see that there are times that we use the same word, but it means something different. I mean, I love my wife, and so that could be a filio type of love because I have a warm affection for her, right? It could also mean eros type of love because I have a physical attraction for her. She desires all three types of love, but She is more concerned about my agape type of love for her. She wants my highest and loyal affection and devotion. So men, if your wife is asking you three or more times, do you love me? Then more than likely, you're not showing through words and action your highest devotion to her. I mean, Peter would tell you that today, okay? So this word love is very serious and one, one that deserves a yes answer. It is so serious that I would reserve it to describe relationships with people rather than things. And, and I think you get my drift here. I think I was here for Valentine's Day and, uh, or weekend. And so I remember us talking very specifically about me saying I love food. It's pretty obvious. I love food, Okay. I love football. I was just talking about the Oregon Ducks down here. And, uh, and we were talking about Oregon State and their football team is not as good as Oregon Ducks. And I said, well, then they need to come play Virginia because they would have a shot. I love the fall of the year. I love the autumn. I love the season changes. But do I love these things or do I like these things? I'm fond of these things. I have a passion for them, but my highest devotion is reserved for this love relationship that I have with Jesus and I have with his people. So in this passage, Peter's dark failure in the night of his Lord's agony has to be just haunting him. But notice Jesus is not going to leave Peter in his defeat. He needs Peter's yes at the level that Peter is willing to begin. So with great tenderness, our Lord gives his broken servant a new task. I mean, it's almost like Peter saying, uh, Jesus is saying, Peter, I I don't care what you've done. I I don't care what you haven't done. Here's what I want you to do now. I want you to feed my sheep. Uh, I knew a young man who grew up in a Christian home where the family was very, very active in the life of the church. And he grew up, he went to college, he married, and now has a baby of his own. And you know the story. Now he doesn't go to church. 
wandered away. And this is something I want you to be in prayer about because we're working on next generation ministry. We believe this is a gap in the generations that we need to work on as churches. But this young man admitted that he needed to go to church. And so when we asked why he stopped going to church, you know what he said? He said, for many, many years, I went to youth camp. Year after year after year. And I rededicated my life year after year after year. And I'd become discouraged because of my failure to live up to the commitments that I'd made year after year. And, and, and finally, I just gave up on making promises at all. Here's a young man who was left in his failure because he would not hear the call of Jesus to leave that failure behind and follow him today. There's a new assignment. You see, many people have made commitments to serve Jesus on the mission field. They've made commitments to be a Sunday school teacher or maybe a deacon or a faithful steward of the possessions that God has given. And many have failed to keep our commitments. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've one that have failed to keep your commitment before, what Jesus is saying to us today, as he said to Peter, do you love me? Then do my work. Put your past failures behind. I have a new work for you to do. Follow me and feed my sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. He has a new work for us. The second thing I want to share with you today is that the courage to say yes cannot depend on someone else's response. It can't depend on someone else. This is personal. Peter says to Jesus, what about this man? Who is he referring to when he says, what about this man? You see, the disciple John was closely watching this exchange between Jesus and Peter. And so Peter turned toward John and and then he looked back to Jesus and he asked, what about this man? He's not doing anything. Let him feed your sheep. Well, I think we kind of understand that feeling because sometimes we get weary in doing all that we can do. We grow discouraged because others seem to be doing very little around us, you know. And so in the life of the church, it's that 80-20 principle. You guys know that. 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the life and the ministry of the church. And that's a sad statistic. So how many times does a church nominating committee or those who are, who are getting ministry teams together, how many times do they hear from us, I need a break, I've done my time, I'm, I'm tired, let someone else have their turn. And here's how Jesus would reply, what is that to you, Peter? Follow me. To be sure, it's irritating to be around people who come to church to receive and to be entertained and do nothing in service to God and and to others. But here's a warning. Jesus is saying to Peter, this isn't about them. This is about you. Some of us grow weary in doing good works and we're tempted to, to judge the inadequacies or the faithless response of others and we justify ourselves in comparison to what others do. And we're reluctant to say, yes, Lord, you can count on me. I'm going to serve you as long as I have life and breath. It doesn't matter what anyone else does or doesn't do. I'm reminded of the story of, uh, of a church that was in a college town. 
And we're working with churches now in college towns and, and working on this next generation ministry. And I love this story and we use it as we are encouraging churches to become involved and active in college ministry. But it was a college town. And you've heard the story where the church says, well, we've tried that before and it didn't work. We've tried to reach out to our college students and it didn't work. And so this particular year, there was a concerted effort to be on campus when they arrived. They helped them move in. They uh, invited them to church. And on this particular Sunday, the first Sunday back to college, there were quite a number of college students that came to the service. And of course, they dressed different, right? So flip-flops and barefoot and scruffy, not shaven. and, And so the place is full. And so this one college student doesn't know what to do, not used to going to church. He comes down and he sits on the floor right by the pulpit. Just sits on the floor, kind of Indian style, right? And so here's this pillar of the church, this elder man who gets up from the back of the room and he walks down the aisle. Now you can imagine what people are thinking, right? They're thinking, he's going to reprimand them. He's going to say, man, this isn't the way to dress to come to our church. Let me escort you and let's find you a seat. And here's what happened. He put his hand on the young man's shoulder and he sat down right beside of him. Indian style. And they kept right on worshiping, not even skipping the lyrics of a song, of a praise song or a hymn. They kept right on going. You see, the courage to say yes did not depend on the failure of the past or this church would have never become involved in collegiate ministry. The courage to say yes did not depend on someone else's response. This elder stepped out of his routine, out of his comfort zone, moved away from what man expected and he said yes to the opportunity that Jesus had given him. He said what? Yes. I mean, could God be calling Mount Pleasant for a special type of mission like this? I'm not saying that you're in the middle of a college town, but there are colleges nearby. And we're hearing of the tragedy upon college campuses and now even community colleges that are happening. Could there be a ministry that the church become involved with? I mean, there's a military base nearby. Is he saying, come join me in feeding my sheep? in Colonial Heights in the surrounding area? And I think the answer is yes. Third and finally, (coughs) excuse me, sound people. The courage to say yes is necessary if we're ever gonna be victorious. No victories can be won unless we learn to say yes, I'm available to serve. I mean, can you imagine a football coach going up to a player on the sidelines and saying, I need you, son. Are you ready to go in and help us win this game? And the player replies, no, sir, put someone else in. Uh, That's not likely to happen. You see, the team might win the contest, but this player, if he said no to the coach, would not experience the real victory because he said no to getting into the game. If our churches, in our churches, we are faced with a remarkable challenge to move people from saying no to saying yes, from being a spectator to being a participator. 
I say from being a couch potato to becoming a sweet potato. Of course, I'm from the South. From a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. You see, if we were less brave or if the cause was not so crucial, we might be tempted to run and hide or maybe take a leave of absence from the church responsibilities. But we will never experience victory if we take a leave of absence or run and hide. God has called us to be his church right here and right now. We need to say yes to his call to make a difference in this community and throughout the world right now. And folks, I'm reminded, I, I love reading John Piper. He talks about not wasting our life. It's better to lose your life than to waste it. I don't know about you, but I don't know how much longer I have here on this earth. And I don't want to waste my life. I want to be used by the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, let me make this observation here about Jesus. The way that he is speaking to Peter. Let's remember that Jesus has the heart of a shepherd and he seeks lost sheep. Frightened or hungry sheep are the object of his special care. We read that throughout John 10 uh, verses one through 18. And so when Jesus asked Peter to take care of his sheep, he was essentially calling him to join in the task of the great shepherd. Henry Blackaby says, see where God's at work and be willing to join him there. And so God is calling us to join him in his work. Where is he at work? Disaster relief. I mean, there are people that are being called out to go to South Carolina. We see the devastation that's there. Montreal, Canada. You all might know Ron and Linda. Uh, Kid, uh, Ron and Linda, at their age, at near retirement age, is being called to go to Montreal, Canada to serve because they speak French. And they can speak their language. God's at work there. Lithuania, we have a team right now in Lithuania. There's a couple that, that's members uh, not too far from here. Pat Fjordelis at Kingsland Baptist Church. There's another couple that's there that's serving in Lithuania for several months. They're there now. Assisting with refu- refugees in Germany. Jack Noble, who is our disaster relief coordinator, is going to Germany even as we speak to find out how we can minister to the refugees in Germany. Southwest Virginia, the Appalachia region, many of our churches are preparing backpacks and and gonna take those as Christmas gifts to those children in need. Does our nation's capital, is God at work there? Even though it seems maybe not, yes, he is at work. Our state capital, you just heard the relationship that we've now built with our, our mayor and the city officials. But God is at work right here in Colonial Heights, isn't he? So just this week, I had uh, our data support run the latest demographics for a three-mile radius around Mount Pleasant. And we did this for our, our search committee, and we wanted the, the pastor candidates to, to know this, and we've gotten a revised one since then, and so this is fresh and new. And here's what I found, all right? There are 14,160 households within a three-mile radius of this church. The red dots that you see there, it says low-hanging fruit, represent new families that have moved here in the last 12 months. 
So don't tell me that people aren't buying and selling these days. It's the market is up, right? And so you've got new people that are coming in. There are 11 different religions represented in this three-mile radius. You can see that, religions. Folks, people don't need a religion. They need a relationship with Jesus. There are 13 different ethnic groups representing at least that many different nations. And so the Lord has brought the world to us. This is within a three-mile radius. There are at least 10 languages spoken within three miles. And so now you know why this ministry we call English as a second language is so important. We have to help them with cultural differences. We have to help them with language barriers. A little over one half of the people in these households have a high school education. 1,165 did not even complete high school. So continuing education would be an important ministry, maybe tutoring or some live classes, for example. Over half of the population is 55 years of age or older. So how does that shape ministry? While we look to the future generations, we have a growing population of seasoned seniors. And let me just say that as I am approaching this, Andy, I'll be able to go on your trips in two more years. This is a generation that's ripe for the picking because you have retired people. Now, here's the thing. The statistics are showing recent that retired people doesn't mean that you have tired people and they can serve the Lord without limitations. The majority of the households are comprised of one to three people. And notice the slide with the red dots representing the widows and widowers. People with special needs that can be met by the church. If nothing else, the need to be with others, helping them deal with loneliness. And look at this next slide. Indicates home with single parents who work all day and care for their children at night. It's not easy. So how can the church come alongside and be available to help them? And then I want you to look at this final slide. The unreached. The unreached. Each dot represents homes that have never heard or accepted Jesus. They're certainly not churchgoers. And they need someone to speak and to live and to be Jesus to them. You know who's going to want this information? Your new pastor. And he's going to want to hold us accountable for knowing and loving and reaching our Jerusalem, our neighborhood. And he's going to ask you to join him in saying, what? Yes, to the Lord and to this new assignment that Jesus is giving Peter and he's giving to us. And that is feed my sheep. And I want to encourage you this morning. It doesn't matter if you failed the Lord before. He wants you to say yes to him today at the level you're willing to come and say yes. He has, a, he has an assignment for you. It doesn't matter what others are doing or not doing. This is about you. He wants you to say yes to him. If you're gonna experience victory in your life or in the life of this church, you've gotta get in the game and Jesus is coaching Peter and he's coaching us today and he wants us to say what? Yes. yes. 
Just as Jesus was asking Peter, he's asking us, do you love me? And the answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, he's saying, feed my sheep. Pray with me this morning. Lord, in the uh, quietness of this moment, I pray that each person that's here is seeking your face today. It's easy collectively for us to shout out the word yes, but you know our heart. It's not about the words, it's about the heart. That's what Jesus was getting to with Peter, getting to the heart of the matter. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to follow me? Do you love me enough to serve with me? Do you love me enough to take this assignment to feed my sheep? And Lord, today you've allowed us to see some realities that are all around us. There are people in need. You've revealed that to us today as if maybe we didn't know or we've had blinders up or we've been wearing sunglasses or something and we've just not seen all around us. It's sometimes easier to go abroad. It's sometimes easy to to go across the state and minister to those in need. It's sometimes easy to go to South Carolina and minister in a time of disaster and yet there are people who have needs right here among us. Thank you for opening our eyes today. Help us to see through your eyes. And today, help us to respond, to say yes. May we look on this day, October the 11th, 2015 as the day we move from saying no I'm not quite sure I'm busy I don't have time I've done it before let someone else do it we're going to put that behind us we're going to move from saying no to saying yes and Lord what a blessing that would be to a new shepherd with a group of sheep that hear your voice and follow. Bless these, your people, who are saying yes today. And help those who are saying no by the prompting of your Holy Spirit to make a change. Lord, if there's one here who's never said yes the very first time, never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, who never said, Lord, I'm going to turn away from self and selfishness and pride and sin and destruction. I'm going to turn away and I'm going to turn toward Jesus and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to ask him to come into my heart and into my life. 
to be my shepherd, to lead and to guide. I'm going to say yes today to him for the first time. If there's someone here in this room that's never trusted Jesus, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Now, how do you do that? We just simply want to pray with you. If, you're, if you sense the Holy Spirit is prompting you, would you come down this morning during the invitation? Brother Andy will be here. I'll be here. Deacons will be here. We want to pray with you. A simple prayer admitting that you're a sinner and that sin separates you from a right relationship with God. And the only way to be in right relationship is to trust Jesus, the very one who died for you and rose victoriously for you. Turn away from that sin, ask for forgiveness, repent of that sin, and to ask Jesus to come into your heart. It's that simple. Would you do that today without delay? Would you say yes? So Lord, I pray that as we begin to sing, whatever it is, however it is, you would have us to respond to this word, yes. If we're saying yes to you, whether it's in the privacy of our pew or whether or not we need to come to the altar and just surrender and say, Lord, I'm not going to say no to you. I'm going to say yes. I don't want to be a stumbling block to this church. I want to say yes as we move forward, as we have a new pastor. I want to say yes. I will feed your sheep. May you be honored and glorified in our response today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and would you respond as the Lord is leading?